My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. This morning, my sermon title is City, a Tower, and the Gospel. Today at the story of Pentecost, you may ask yourself, it's kind of odd hearing the story of the Tower of Babel being read in Genesis 11, as juxtaposed to what we heard from the book of Acts chapter 2. So we're going to focus a little bit on the Tower of Babel story this morning. And the story of the Tower of Babel is not a story that's supposed to tell us how human language is developed, right? That's not the point of the story. That type of interpretation doesn't deal with kind of what's going on in the story. The languages in the story do get muddled up, but there's more to what's going on behind the scenes. And I think when we hear the story of Babel, we read it, there's two major issues here. The first is they say, let us build a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. So then we ask ourselves, well, then does God really hate cities? Is that the point of the story, right? God's like, oh, you're building a city. I'm coming. I'm angry. No. Well, if building a city isn't something that makes God mad, then what's the issue with building a city? Well, because in the context here in Genesis chapter 11, it's a violation of God's command to them to fill the earth. Right? The point is to be image bearers of God through the earth. In other words, basically to make earth, the dwelling place of humanity, to turn it into a place where God and humanity are united together. And this is a vision we see fully realized when you read the book of Revelation. And if you're interested in that, join us on Wednesday night for Bible study. Humanity failed at this vocation many times in the book of Genesis. And increasing wickedness leads to the flood. And then after the flood, God restates this in Genesis 9-1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful be, and multiply and fill the earth, right? So God is restating what he stated initially to Adam and Eve in the garden in the beginning of Genesis, all right? So at the beginning of the Babel account, it says that a group of people, they, they all get together and they moved to a plain in the east and settled there. And when they settled there, they build a city. So the, the, the problem with building a city here in this text is not that God hates cities, it's that it's a denial of God's preservation of bringing them and their families that came before them through the flood and then their disobedience to spread and fill the earth as God's image bearers. And this points us to a deeper spirituality at play as well that we see in the Old Testament prophets because the Old Testament prophets like Habakkuk remind us with things like this, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the seas. So then we ask ourselves, well, what's the issue with building a tower? Right? The point of this part of the story of building a tower isn't that God hates skyscrapers. <laughs> like when they're constructing the Chrysler building, God's like, ooh, I really hate that one. And the Empire State Building, God's like, ah, I can't stand it, these New Yorkers and these skyscrapers. No, it's pointing us to something. It's a description of them as they're building this city around themselves. It's a description of them building a temple, of them building a ziggurat. Right? That's what the Tower of Babel is. It's not like a, you know, a smooth-sided tower. You know? It's a ziggurat. So if you go back and you Google it, you can look and see what ziggurats are. 
And ziggurats in that area, in the ancient Near East, they were built as high as possible because they were seen to be the meeting place between the earth and the heavens, between people and between God. And what's happening here in this story is that humanity is trying to, through their own means, bring God down to them. This is how we appropriate the blessing of God. And God didn't ask them to do that or tell them to do that. The point is that united disobedient humanity is attempting to make God do what they want according to their own whims and desires apart from what he had told them to do. And then the second thing is let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. So they're building this, this ziggurat, trying to get closer to God, not out of love, but out of desire to use Him for their own purposes. They're denying what it means to follow God in His image because they want all the glory for themselves. Look at the works that we can build when we put our minds to it. Look at all of these things that we can do together. Let's memorialize all of our greatness, all of our majesty. And the result is Babylon, right? This Genesis, the story Genesis 11 is the Bible's telling of the story of the founding of the city of Babylon. And Babylon throughout the scriptures comes to represent the prototypical example of human wickedness in scripture. I was thinking about this the other night in Revelation class where I think tied in with this, this idea of, of doing things for ourselves to make our own names great, building all these monuments to our own greatness, our own awesomeness, right? There's a, a poem, I think, by, uh, I think it's by Shelley, called Ozymandias. You may have read this in school, you maybe have not read it in school, maybe come across it somewhere. But it basically, this is the structure of the poem, this ruler, right, he creates these mighty works, you know, and it's, gaze upon my works, ye mighty, in despair. But the person who's looking at this and reading that is looking at the ruins of this empire, right? The, the remnants of a long dead empire. There's nothing there to despair over. Ultimately, that's the end goal of all human systems and all human institutions apart from God, apart from Christ. And as a result of their disobedience and their wickedness, they are scattered and the languages are mixed up. So they cannot cooperate anymore. So now we fast forward a few thousand years to Pentecost in the book of Acts. So there's a couple of things you need to keep in mind when we get through to Acts, right? So the first is you have this thing throughout Israel's history of, of them being faithful and being unfaithful, of them conquering and then them being conquered. And then God sends David and, and the kingship, right? And then the kingdom splits between Israel and Judah. And then Israel's wickedness, uh, wickedness leads to them being destroyed. And Judah, they're sometimes faithful, sometimes, you know, sometimes they're okay. And they get carried off to Babylon. Right, so you have this dispersion of the, of, of the Jews during their history. Different, and, and they are assimilated in different cultures. And by the time we get to the book of Acts, some of them have returned to the land like we've seen in the book of Nehemiah and, and Ezra. Right, But then some of them have just stayed and settled in the places where they were, where they had dispersed to or where they had emigrated to. They didn't return to the land. Right, so they're all, they're all in Jerusalem. Right? They've come to Jerusalem to worship because it's the season of Pentecost. And so while they're there, the, the apostles are, are huddled in the upper room. Right, Remember, Jesus has just ascended and he tells them, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father from on high. And so they do. 
And then the Holy Spirit descends upon them, and we heard the reading from Acts, right? Like a, a mighty wind, and it fills the house, and flames of fire are on their head, right? The, the indication of the presence of God with them and on them. And then they begin to speak in languages they do not know. And then these dispersed Jews from other nations hear them speaking in the languages of the places that they've settled in. And we get a list there in Acts. The Egyptian Jews are like, well, I can hear this in, in this language. And then they ask the question, what does this mean? What does this mean? Right? What we have here is how the languages are mixed up, mixed up messed up, and the people are dispersed. At, at the Tower of Babel is the Spirit of God is drawing all people back to Himself. The Spirit of God is bringing all people together to be part of God's people, the church. This is after the dispersion, it is the regathering of the nations centered on Jesus Christ. And so they ask, what does this mean? And then Peter says, well, this is what it means. And he says that the prophets foretold this. The prophets foretold Jesus Christ. The prophets foretold that Jesus is Lord and Christ. That he was dead. That he was resurrected. That he was buried. He, well, he was buried and then resurrected. And he ascended to the throne of God in heaven, ruling and reigning over all things. And then he says, and you guys did this to him, but God raised him from the dead. Right? So in the middle of the public square, Peter unashamedly and unabashedly preaches Christ. And just like that, 3,000 people believe and are received into the new church. And Peter says, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift that God had just given to them and to the other apostles. Those who repent and are baptized will receive the gift of the Spirit. So we look at this story, and we look at these theological tendencies here in the story, or, or what the, uh, these things are, are teaching us about the regathering around, around Jesus Christ. And we, I think it can make us think, brothers and sisters, that true human flourishing is not the development of human culture. Right? True human flourishing is not the development of entertainment. True human flourishing is not the development of artificial intelligence. True human flourishing is not the development of like architectural wonders. Human culture developing apart from Christ is not true human flourishing. There could be good things in there that we're grateful for, like medicine and well-built houses and, and, and things like that. That's not what I'm talking about. But this, this creation of culture, this creation of, of, of monuments, this creation of anything apart from Christ is ultimately doomed to fail. Because God is regathering everyone to himself to form his new people. True human flourishing is the healing of the human soul patterned after the images of, image of Christ. Right? And so the spread of the kingdom of God throughout the world is not the bolstering of secular institutions, right? The spread of the kingdom of God, right? The regathering of the nations isn't, isn't you know, bolstering secular institutions. It's not the bolstering of political institutions. It's not the, the foisting of political or secular ideologies in the name of justice, right? We don't use the descent of the Holy Spirit to justify political and social ideology. The Holy Spirit empowers us to witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. This is who Christ is. This is what Christ has done. Christ calls all to repent and be baptized and to be gathered into his family. 
Consider Peter's sermon here, right? Before the Spirit descends, he's afraid. But when the Spirit descends, afterwards, he's filled with boldness. Now notice, when he gets up in his sermon, right? He boldly calls them out for what they did. But then he preaches Christ. You know what he doesn't do? To quote the kiddos, like, he doesn't try to be based, right? He doesn't try to, like, zing, I got you. He's not trying to collapse everything into sound bites to try to get one over on, on everybody else. Look how clever I am. Look how dumb you are. I can come up with the coolest, most offensive thing to say, right, to put you in your place. That's not what he's doing. But he's still, at the same time, boldly calling them out for what they did. Like, hey, you guys did this. But Christ is risen. Repent and believe, right? He boldly proclaims the truth of Christ. And this boldness... This empowerment that God gives us to speak the truth of Christ, right? This means that we're not building our own kingdom. This means that we're not building our own human institutions. This means that we're not building our own human secular culture. It means that the church is creating an alternative community, right? We're not worried about our own accomplishments. We're not worried about what social uh, movements and political movements we can get behind and then put Jesus' language on it to make it sound good, right? We are concerned is bringing people into the kingdom of God. Speaking truth in love, but boldly. Boldly. Because that's what the work of the Spirit does. And I think that we need a bold and uninhibited preaching of Jesus and who he is and what he's done in the public sphere. Not in an effort to be base or to be offensive. But a bold and uninhibited preaching of Jesus, who he is and what he's done, and the forgiveness that he offers, instead of the bold and un un uninhibited displays of confusion we see in public spaces. And I can't help but think of this, brothers and sisters, because Pentecost, Pentecost this year is very close to the beginning of, of Pride Month. And so... We're going to see in our culture for a month bold and uninhibited preaching of a, of, a, of a secular gospel. But what God asks us to do is in the middle of a confused culture, in the middle of a culture that, that needs him, is to boldly say, Christ is risen. Repent, be baptized, and believe the gospel. Because we're not trying to build up our own institutions. We're trying to build the church. We're trying to bring people back into relationship with Jesus. We're trying to bring people out of the confusion of culture, out of the things that culture tells us is good, all of the things that our culture tells us that we need to do and need to be. Our faith calls us to live different and to be different. The Spirit comes upon us to be witnesses. Us. That means it's our task as Spirit-filled people to go into the world and work for the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? That Jesus is both Lord and Christ. That he was dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended. As Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive this gift that when kept will stay untarnished. This gift of the Spirit that will burn bright, right? Like the tongues of fire that lit on their heads will, lit on, will, will light on our heads as well and empower us to give us boldness to speak the truth of Jesus Christ, of his love for all, his call 
of repentance to all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen.